Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 332. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have back with us the internationally acclaimed and award-winning epic high fantasy author, Todd Fonenstock. <laughs> Thank Come you on. so much. It's so great to be here. I, I enjoyed this last time. This is the best. I love this podcast. <laughs> Well, see, because I usually have what's called friend of the show. So when you're on three times, you get oh, the official you get the f- official moniker of friend of the show, and you all send you a PNG yeah. badge and all that stuff. And you, you and you do I, you don't you mean and, and you stick it on the back of all the books and everything. It's fine. There you go. Great. I get. I just give me the sticker. Let's put it on there. Dot <laughs> com. Last year you were on, I was, you know, being slightly facetious saying that you're literally write a book a week and obviously you haven't write a book a week, but you now, once again, how many books have you written since last year? Now you've, you, we just talked pre-show, you have like three, three or four now. Yeah. Just two, just two actually. Okay. So yeah, there, I mean, last year, so, so I do a lot of appearances out in the world and I think the previous year, I think I hit 15 comic cons but in 2023 i hit 21 i was gonna I was, I was shooting for 18 my stretch goal was 24 i hit 21 and so that cut down a little bit on my writing time i think usually i managed to get three books out in a year and it doesn't go like i mean people probably think oh so you've got one by you know april you've got one by august and you got one by the end of the year that's not the way that i maybe some people work that way i don't work that way i'm like i got nothing i got nothing i got nothing and then all of a sudden i write a book in 13 days and then i write a book in a month and then like next year all of it rolls over and i have five books coming out and then the year after that i have one book coming out and then the year after that you know it's it's just so random right. just based on inspiration so i think that I probably would have been able to get a third one done if I hadn't been just on the road most of the time. I was all, I was out there right. a lot last year. You love writing. You have you have so many stories that you've been telling. You got you have these four series and other you know one off books that you've been writing. How hard is it to if somebody comes in and and you you meet at at a convention and says I can only afford to buy two books. What are those? What what are the two books you want to sell me? And like how how do you separate out with like they're all your babies, you know, like, how do you, yeah. how do you, how do you equally promote and sell all your titles at once when you go to these events? So, yeah. So, I mean, the question I get all the time is like, which one's your favorite? Like that, like I'm going to tell them my favorite and then they're going to buy that book. And I'm like, I like, which child is your favorite? I, I don't, right. I don't have it's- a favorite child. Like what kind of stuff do you want? to read are you mm. more of the i want it a little bit grittier i want it a little bit sexier are you like i want it to be clean i want it to be high fantasy and do i i want it deep world building i mean like all of my novels have a little bit of this stuff but some right. lean more heavily than others so if they're an epic fantasy reader i'll say what's the last book you read they're like brandon sanderson's blah 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 then i'm like this one right here if they say something like, you know what, I I read fantasy a little bit when I was a kid. I kind of want to get back into it. I'm like, Kaivin the Unkillable. Kaivin the Unkillable is about as mainstream as it gets. Like, it's going to suck you in. I don't care who you are, right? It's, mm-hmm. it, it hits the ground running and you identify with the character and then boom, you're plunged into this world. And my writing style is very, very digestible. Like there, are, and, and I'm not 
saying anything bad about any other's writing style because I love the chewier writing styles. You know, the, by chewy, I mean sometimes it can get very lyrical. I'm a big fan of Guy Gabriel K, and he's very lyrical when he gets into his world building and 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 that sort of thing. But my type of style is very digestible. It's clean, it's clear, and it moves at pace. At least in the Kaiven the Unkillable book. Like if we lean towards right. the Whisper Prince with Fairmist and that sort of thing, it's definitely going to get deeper world building. We're gonna we're gonna you know play around with some of the elements that are part of this fantasy world. So yeah, it really depends on what their what their taste is. And if they if they they're like, well, I don't know what I want, then I choose. I kind of just use my basic sense of them, and I choose. And usually. By the time I'm doing done doing a pitch, most of them are interested because they really get a taste for the story. Right, and and as you as you mentioned, uh, Kaivin the Unkillable is is part of your your Eldros legacy. Series. That's correct. And then last year you had so last year you had Kaivin the Unkillable, and then L'Oreal of the Dark, mm-hmm. Ren the Ren the Traveler, Ren mm-hmm. the Traveler, and now you have two new books: Slater and the Dragon and. Bane of Giants? That's correct. Yep. So the uh, Eldros Legacy is a multi-author shared world experience. And my part of that shared world experience, isn't that cool? Yeah, it was founded by Quincy J. Allen, Marie Whitaker, and Mark Stallings. And each of us have a continent on this world. And we're all moving towards this war with these mythical giants. If you want me to do the pitch for it later, I can do that. And so my story is five volumes in my continent, and it's called Legacy of Shadow. So you'll see the little subtitle underneath all the titles. Each of those subtitles will tell you which series it's a part of. And then the symbol down at the bottom, I can't circle it with my mouse, but you can see the symbol down at the bottom. It looks like a sun that's kind of having like these dark tentacles kind of go over the sun. Yes, that's it. Yep. That is the Noxanon symbol, and each of the continents has their own continent symbol. So you'll know which continent you're in by that symbol. So talk to us a little bit about your your newest books that are out there, like Slater the Dragon, for instance. Yeah. Okay. So Slater and the Dragon, this is the fourth in the Legacy of Shadows series. And essentially the first three are introducing the world, introducing the main characters. And each one of the first three is a story in and of itself with like some meta plot threads continuing forward Mm -hmm. about this. The giants are coming. The giants are coming. The giants are coming. Right. And Slater and the dragon is the first one where we open up and the giants are here. You know, it's like, it's beginning. The war is starting and Slater and the dragon and Bane of giants, which is the fifth book, which is also done. I'm doing the revisions right now on that. And it's coming out in July. So it's coming out in July is the second half of the story. Slater and the dragon is the first half and Bane of giants is the second half. So it's really more of like one book that's divided into two. And this one, I will warn you, it is a cliffhanger. It is like a straight up, you get to the end and you're like, no, it's like empire strikes back. You know, it's like right. all, it's all bad. And we gotta, we gotta figure out a way to make it better. And, and the other books are not like that. The other books have like a traditional arc. It's like they begin in one place. It's the growth of the character. And then it ends in another place. And the meta plot marches on. Right. And in this one, now we're in the meta plot. Now we're, we're down to it. This is what we've been waiting for the whole time. And it's here. And it's and it's all happening, right? And it will get resolved in Bane of Giants. Is this kind of a a ramp up for all of it, Bane of Giants? Absolutely. Like, or is it just okay? Yeah. All right. 
Yep. No, this is this is all one story. But when I say that these are complete and of themselves, that they have this mini story within them. Like this one, the first one, Kaivin the Unkillable, is how Kaivin comes to be part of this party, this party of five okay. characters. And and then then things start to move. And then Lorel's story is kicked off by something that happens at the end of Kaivin's story. And then Ren's story. So there's a split at the end of Kaivin. Some of the group splits off. And so Laurel of the Dark and Ren the Traveler take place at exactly the same time. It's just that this is that oh, group okay. and this is this group, right? And then Slater and the Dragon is, oh my gosh, the giants are here. We got to do battle. And and here we go. This is what you this is the main event. This is what you've been waiting for. We're because we, we talked about this last time you were on too, about just kind of like outlining outlines, either through like we mentioned either through like a Joseph Campbell type mm. setup or if like a, a save the cat type setup do you did, did you have all five of these books already outlined out or did you have them all outlined out one at a time and you just kind of had a vague idea of how it was the direction of the next book was going yeah so have you have you heard the terms plotter and pantser Yes, and you were a pantser. I remember we talked about that. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. So I'm a pantser. Yeah. Um, and for those of you that don't know what plotter and pantser means, plotter is pretty obvious. You plot the book. Pantser is by the seat of your pants. You start writing and it starts to come together for you, right? And so I am a dyed-in-the-wool pantser. However, I appreciate other people's ways of doing things. And I feel like the more tools you have in your toolbox, the better off you're going to be. So I have studied story structure. And though I don't plot things out meticulously and stick to them. I do plot them out and then deviate as needed, right? I mean, as I get into it, like, so for example, I use Save the Cat Writes a novel. I think it's a great Mm -hmm. take on how to form a structure for your story. And it's based off of the original Save the Cat, which was a screenplay writing how-to that was so dead on about story that people were using it for everything, not just screenplays. And finally, Jessica Brody took that and made a Save the Cat Writes a Novel saying, okay, so you know, you can use Save the Cat to write a novel, but here's some things that will make it a little bit more easily accessible for those of us that are novel writers. writers. And um, so, so I'll plot it out. There's 15 beats and you plot out the beats of Act 1, you plot out the beats of Act 2, you plot out the beats of Act 3. And pretty much for me, when I start a book, I'll plot it all out, for some books, the first three, I definitely did this. The fourth one ended up being a little strange, but so anyway, so I plotted it all out and the first act, I will stick to about 90% of what I plotted. The second act, I'll stick to about 50% of what I plotted. And by the time I get to the third act, things have deviated so much. I only use about 15 to 20% of what I originally plotted. But I think the cool thing about that is you get, I think you get the best of both worlds. You get the, the, you can be on point when the more you plot something out, the more you can be like, okay, I'm doing something here and I want to make sure it follows, follows through here. And you can hit those emotional nodes hard, right? When you get there, you're like, okay, this is where this is going to be. But the cool thing about being a pantser also is that I will surprise myself. Like I'll be going through and doing something. And all of a sudden something will pop up just from pure, the pure creativity in the deep well of the subconscious, it'll just bubble up. And since I'm free to do whatever I want, I don't have to be like, well, that doesn't fit. Can't use that. I'll use that in the next book. Instead, I'm like, okay, this thing is here now. Let's make room for it. And I get told a lot that they're, you know, it's like, wow, you're just on the raft and you're going along and you think it's going to be some way, but then he comes and surprises me with this thing. Like, I don't know how my, my assistant calls them fauna shockers after my last name. 
that like we have these twists. And the reason that I can surprise people is because I didn't know it was coming. I, I didn't know it was coming either. And then of course, you know, if you're, you know, a decent editor of any kind, you can, so, so something will happen. Let's say I've got 40 chapters in a book and in chapter 32, something pops up and I'm like, well, that, I didn't expect that to happen, but then you go back to chapters, you know, 22 and 11 and two, and you feather in a little bit of foreshadowing for that. And then all of a sudden you seem brilliant. You're like, wow, he was planning this all along. No, I wasn't planning that all along. <laughs> it, it took me by surprise in chapter 30. And, and I had to go back and like put in some things that, that smoothed it through the whole story and made it seem like it was coming, you know, every step of the way. So I feel like that is the best of both worlds. I get enough of a structure so where I can really make it tight. And then I get enough of the surprises so that I can, you know, really have some, some things that people weren't expecting. There's a third one. You got plotters and pantsers. Have you heard this one? Planters. Planters. Where you plant little seeds as you go, and then you go back to them and like, oh, this is how it's planted. Let's feather that through. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could probably, I, I meant, I mean, the terms we use to describe things are always just as useful as, as you can use them. You know, I mean, right. plotters and pantsers, clearly not everybody is either a plotter or a pantser. Like, it, you know, there's, there's yeah. mixings of both and probably there always was, but it's, it's fun for us to imagine that some people are just more plotters and some people are just more pantsers so we can categorize them in our mind. I, I don't know. I mean, like writing is it's a weird thing in the first right. place. But like you brought up, like, I love that. I love what you talked about being like, yeah, you are, like I said, a dyed in the wool pantser, even the way you describe how you write is that going backwards, it's almost like you're, you're, you're painting with wide brushes as you're going along. And then, then you then you realize that the pattern you made, I like that. So then you go back and kind of add it as it goes backwards as well. Um, yeah. That's a pretty interesting thing. I like that. Yeah. And I, I think there's, I think there's a level of skill that you have to develop because, because I will do some things that are really detailed and then have something that is completely different that I wasn't expecting come in and I'll go back and it's a bit of a dance and you kind of, it's like, it's like you're going back to, to connect these wires to these triggers earlier in the book and, you know, to make the arms move on this particular marionette at the end of the book. And if you do it deftly, you can weave it around all the other detailed stuff that you've already done. So it doesn't necessarily have to be like a really, really rough, non-focused draft. Like it's focused in all these different places. And this one thing means that I have to uproot three paragraphs from this one chapter if you do it right, right? If you do it right. But of course, there is what I consider to be fatal flaws. And I ran afoul of this a lot. And it's a big thing for pantsers where you go down a rabbit hole and you're 75% of the way done with the book. And then you realize, oh no, that's not going to work. And you have to like the timelines in Marvel universe, you know, you have to go back to the branch in that timeline and snip that off and then continue on this way. Right. Because it's just not going to work. I call those fatal flaws. And I, in my early years, I did a lot of rewriting on, you know, you get done with a hundred thousand word book. And then you realize that 70,000 words of that are just not going to work if you're going to try and convey with it. And that is just like, you know, twist the dagger, stab yourself in the heart. And I don't like, I think my subconscious is trained enough that I can see those crossroads when I get to them. It's like, you're coming along. You're like, Oh, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. And you're like, wait, wait a minute. Let's look back. 
see what we you know check in that's why i think that the the beat sheet for save the cat writes a novel is so good because if you've done something at least you can check in with that beat sheet and go can i get away with this or is it gonna be a total disaster later on that's why those mm-hmm. things can be helpful for even panthers right mm-hmm. so yeah i think that, like i said i think there's a lot of practice that goes into that i don't do fatal flaws anymore it's been a long time since i've written a whole novel and gone I, this is not going to work. If I go back and change something, it's going to flow with the story that I've already created. Have you seen anything from other writers or or things that you've seen that you're like, oh, what a fantastic idea. I wish I would have thought of that. Oh, all the time. All the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, jealousy is a great motivator. <laughs> you see somebody, you're just like, man, that was so well done. I, I want to do that next time. I want to do that, you know, yeah. or, or, and, but I always like morph it into a different way. Like I want to do it, but I want to do it my way. Oh, I'll give you an example. Have you seen the movie bullet train? Yeah, I've seen, I, I haven't, I haven't watched it yet, but I have, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Well, the whole story, it has like seven, eight, nine, ten characters in it. And and granted, some of them are more main characters than others, but like every single character they introduce has a backstory that they talk about. Now, it may not be this sort of like the, the character dreams of their backstory, but like some other character may be telling their backstory on this other character. Anyways, and every single one of them has an arc. And this movie is fast paced. It's got lots of violence and gun, you know, gunshots in it. So it's like this really fast paced action movie, but the character development is just exquisite. I mean, they <laughs> develop characters with just a few lines that end up being, I mean, I'm still geeking out over it. I watched that movie probably two dozen times at this point, just like looking, not to mention the dialogue is scintillating. I mean, they just, it sizzles in every single scene. Uh, you should watch it. You should definitely watch it as a study in, in character development because mm-hmm. they waste, there's no fat in that movie. It is all lean muscle and fast moving and they use every single bit of that story to fit with every single bit of the rest of the story just amazing just amazing so yes that's an example of when i see somebody do something really well and i'm like i want it so and we talked last year about the how how incredibly important editors are for writers um have you seen have you seen yourself as the series of books that you've produced have you seen your writing increase in style better and better where you you have less less need of i mean you always need an editor but you see less feedback from editors as the more books you write it's hard to say which came first me writing really clean rough drafts because i became indie and when you're indie like i think the more work you do the better the product is going to be. Like I would never dream of just doing a rough draft and then pitching it over to an editor and saying, tell me where I went wrong. Like, I mean, I'm going to make it tight by the time I send it to my editor. I want my editor to read this book and go, wow, all I could find were typos, you know, or Mm -hmm. this logic error here, this logic error there. So it's hard to know whether I just, you know, I, I, you never grow out of an editor. You always need an editor because you can't see certain things. Right. And that's why editors are critically important for the process. But as far as building the story, I think I have gotten better at creating the story arc and, and having it do the thing that I want. But that's come from a lot of paying attention to it because I'm working in the indie market and, you know, sometimes I use very different, you know, various different editors. And sometimes they, this editor does this one thing and this editor does this other thing that, you know, and they don't match up. So, so 
you got to do a lot more work on your own when you're when you're uh, an indie author. Just make sure that it's cleaner before it goes on to somebody else. So, because you're wait, you're spending money, you know, if you send it off to yeah. an editor. So it's like it's the yeah. the more corrections they make, the more it costs you beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. The more time they spend and that sort of thing. Yep. And I mean, there are different styles of editors. You've got developmental editors, you've got copy editors, and then you've got typo editors, right? Mm -hmm. And copy editors are the ones that are going to go through and say, well, this sentence doesn't really make sense. Or they're going to go through and they're going to say, you had a logic error, you know, here and it didn't fit with there. Or you said here that, you know, the ring will only be for this one person, but then in chapter two, this other person was holding the ring. So what gives, right? I mean, they'll find stuff like that's copy editor. Typo editor, it's what it sounds. They make sure that anything, you know, I mean, typos, like copy editing, it could go one way, it could go another way. Most of the time it's like you made a mistake and you didn't cover your tracks and they're going to find it. But a developmental editor is like that, that, that high level, like, they're they're kind of writing the book with you. They're essentially trying to make sure that your vision is what's coming out in the book. And you say, okay, mm-hmm. I'm doing this. And they're like, okay, well, I get that you meant to do this, but what you actually did was this. So what we need to do is we need to marry those two up in the prose because it's not showing. You say that you want the girl to be, you know, the the badass swordswoman who's going to take over the world and be gentle to everybody that that she's, you know, with, and she's a bitch to everybody that she's with, right? So you wanted to do one thing and you are doing another, right? And we want to make sure that it comes across the way that you envision it. That's what a great editor does. They don't go in and say, well, your story needs to be this. They don't do that. They go in and they say, what is it you want to do? This. Okay. Mm. This is what you want to do. This is what you're actually doing. Let's try and make those match. Right. And obviously you'd want to have a developmental editor first before you go into copyright. I mean, the copy editor and... Absolutely. editor. I, yeah. It would Absolutely. make sense for them. Yeah. Yep. And I think, I mean, developmental editors, I think are, that's kind of exactly what they are. Like if you're, if you're a fledgling author and you are still trying to figure out how to, how to find your voice, how to find your story structure, how to, you know, create your character arcs and stuff, developmental elder editors are indispensable. Mm-hmm. I think at the point where I'm at, where I've put out 27 books, I'm not as I'm not as interested in a developmental editor. I mean, I'm not saying I couldn't benefit from one, but first of all, they're expensive, and second of all, I, I think I'm pretty much saying what I want to say. At least that's the feedback I'm getting from my readers. So, mm-hmm. what I really need is a copy editor and a typo editor. Always need a typo mm-hmm. editor. I mean, typos always come out. They're they're pesky little creatures, and they will mm-hmm. they will find their way to the final draft, no matter how hard you try to shoot them down. Which is what a good beta reader team is good for. I mean, as an indie mm-hmm. author, I have a large beta reader team. And pretty much I send my manuscript off to the editor. Then I send it out to my beta readers. And these, these super fans, they'll catch stuff that, I mean, you wouldn't believe the stuff that they catch. It's great. It's great. Do, does somebody have to read the first three books before they pick up Slater and the Dragon? Yes, for sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you could probably catch up, but you wouldn't want to do that. I mean, like you could... I would say with the first three books, you could probably jump in on any one of those books and read it first and it still would be entertaining. It's going to be far more rich to go one, two, three, Kyvan, Laurel, Wren in that order. But like I said, Kyvan sets up Laurel and Wren, which happen at the same time, right? So each one is a story in and of itself, but Slater is, it's the beginning of the meta plot. You don't, you don't want to start there. You wouldn't want to start okay. with Slater. And and how and so before we went on the before we went live, you're talking about how many how many pages is each one of those then? Slater and the Dragon. 
So yeah, so Slater and the Dragon, I'm going to have to go by words. So I think <laughs> Kaivin the Unkillable is 110,000 words, and I believe Laurel is 110, Ren is 110, Slater is 130, and wow. Bane of Giants is 145, maybe even 150. I mean, they, they get bigger as they go along. So that's probably, I'm thinking 100,000 words is about 375 to 400 pages, depends on whether it's a hardback wow. or paperback, right? So each one is between 350 and 400 pages, and then the other ones are getting bigger as, as we get. We might be approaching 500 pages with Bane. Right. And that's it for Eldros Legacy on your on your continent then? Yeah, on my continent. So so my continent is Noxanon, and the, the main storyline is Legacy of Shadows, right? And the Legacy of Shadows storyline is five books that ends with Bane of Giants. Starts with Kaivin the Unkillable, ends with Bane of Giants. So. Right. And that's in the and and so now are you visiting some of your other series after this now? So many, yes. I've got so I've got different groups of fans. Like I've got so many. So I've got my Threadweaver series, which is complete, thankfully. I mean, that is a four book series that starts with Wild Mane, ends with Guard of Dragons. Then I've got my Whisper Prince series, which starts with Fairmist, ends with the Slate Wizards, and that one is also complete. Then I have my Tower of the Four series, which starts with the Champions Academy and is not done. There's two volumes. Uh, of the omnibuses and there will be two more volumes for a, a set of four right i plan to do 12 episodes four volumes four of the omnibus mm. volumes so and I, I would love to get those done this year my tower of the four fans some people like the tower of the four series the best even over elders legacy and <laughs> i really want to get them done for them so so that's that's probably what i'm going to work on next I'm also working on my Wishing World series, which right. is a middle grade series. That's sort of my Harry Potter kind of series. And it's got, it's just such a fun, fun book. And it's about 11-year-old Lorelai and her nine-year-old brother. And they tumble into the Wishing World, which is this magical place where children transform into their ideal hero. And they go on this adventure to try and get their parents back. And the whole world is actually this patchwork world of things that children have imagined. You know, it's like an elephant graveyard and a robot factory and live sandcastle that's like, you know, full size, all these different crazy things. So it's very whimsical and silly. And it's got creatures like flim flams and rat sharks and swisher swashers and beetlins and rock grim rocks and, and you know all kinds of crazy crazy creatures it's a great series and i've got the third one the rough draft is written i just have to go through it i wrote it like three years ago and i have not had a chance to get back to it so okay yeah so it's that's also on deck but the thing one of the things that i'm really excited about i've been thinking about this this single book this standalone epic fantasy book that i'm kidding i'm not kidding you is 1500 pages you know wow. maybe, maybe 12 to 1500 pages and i call it at this point in my mind i call it the tome and i feel like i feel like epic fantasy readers are so tired of the never ending series you know we've been waiting for george r r martin to finish his his a song of ice and fire for so long I mean, and the hbo show gave us some you know kind of resolution but I think that we would all like to see what George Martin would do with the ending. And then of course, Patrick Rothfuss, such great books, name of the wind. And I can't remember what the second one is called off the top of my head, but such great books. And I think we've been waiting 10 years for him to come out with his next one. It's so frustrating. And so I was thinking that these fantasy readers that I want to give them what it is that they want. I, I think I want to give them just one big 
story all at once and just make it one volume. I mean, I haven't seen that in a while and I'm not sure exactly how big I can make a book and still have it published as one book, but I've got this notion of three different factors, factions in this fantasy world that is essentially built on something that is temporary and they don't know it. Like this sort of galactic plate that is going to dissolve at a certain point and they've got to figure out how to work together and make, I mean, I haven't, this is all just sort of percolating in my mind right now, but I want to, I want to write this book and I want to just do it beginning, middle and end, put it out and say, this is it, the whole thing, all at once, all in one volume and see how fans react to that. And maybe they won't like that. I mean, a lot of people like series, right? But I don't think anybody likes the fact that they have to wait 10 years for the next, next book to come out. So we'll see what happens if I put out just a single book. So 1500 pages. So for, for you, Tom, that's going to, Probably take you like at least like a month to write that down, right? <laughs> oh, I wish I were that prolific. I mean, you never know. I get when I get taken by the news, it's just it's just crazy yeah. how fast it comes out. Like Summer of the Fetch, right. I wrote that right. book in 13 days. I kid you not. 13 days. And it got it got painful towards the end. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff was coming. I'm like, I just want to keep typing while it's coming. My wife would come up and say, do you want dinner? I'm like, uh-huh, I do. I do want dinner. So she'd bring me dinner. And I just like gobble it and keep going because it wouldn't stop. It just wouldn't stop. And I wasn't going to go to bed. I wasn't going to sleep until you right. know the, the rush stopped and it just didn't stop for 13 days. And I got to tell you, around about day 11, it wasn't fun anymore. You know, at first right. it was like, woohoo, you know, I'm going to get this whole thing done. And then by day 11 or so, it was like, ow, ow, ow. I just, and it wouldn't stop. It just wouldn't stop. It was great. It was one of the coolest experiences. I've never had that happen before or right. since. Look. Right. <laughs> so, so Todd, if, if people want to learn more about your work, where is the best place they could go to? Yeah, we've been surfing at the whole uh, interview, toddfonestock.com. So yeah, for our listeners out there, so you go to toddfonestock.com and, and the link will be in the show notes and it is spelled as it sounds basically, right? With a silent H so, thrown in there. That's true. Yeah. So F-A-H-N-E-S-T-O-C-K. So, you know, and, and it seems apropos that you have the word stock in your name with the fact that you actually have like a library of books that you've written so far. So, yeah. <laughs> Yes, not to mention multiple copies of them in books in my office as I go out to these cons. So I have lots of stock for sure. Yes, yeah, you have a Todd Fauna stock stock. I, <laughs> so right there. I do, I do. I have a Todd <laughs> Fauna stock in my entire office. <laughs> so listen, so Todd, you're going to have to come back on again then next year yeah, when you have I. your next books coming I want my, out. Yeah. I want my sticker. I want my friend of the show. Yeah, you got to get, yeah, you got your friend of the show sticker. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, a buddy of mine does that. He started picking up blacksmith thing, and he's that's where I learned about you know like how many times you can fold something and mm. all that stuff and making it stronger. And I mean, he started off making. He wanted to make a vest, like tending all the time, spending that, and he decided I'm just going to make knives instead. It's much quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine a steel vest would take a while. Well, because he had all the pieces and he was like, he was actually pincing them together and all that stuff. And 
Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to make knives. That's quicker. Any <laughs> <laughs> year making one, you know, vest of, of steel, or you can make three or four knives probably in the yeah. next time. It's like, I'm just going to make knives. <laughs> yeah. Because when it comes down to the cost-benefit analysis, the time you spend putting into making the knife as compared to the price you could sell, like, 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 a, a, like, you know, just a ring, a, a ring mail vest. Mm -hmm. He's like, it's going to, it doesn't make sense. Like I can't, if I was going to spend the amount of time I'd make spending a knife, the time I'd make a knife and how much I'd spend making ring mail, I'd go broke. <laughs> He's like, yeah. like I can't.